if you have a Bible with you uh, today, I want to invite you to open up to Lamentations. I know, changing it up here. Lamentations chapter 3. All right. Merry Christmas season, everybody. All right. Uh, It is Christmas season. I love this time of year. It truly is the most wonderful time of the year. All right. I love walking into a store and there's Christmas music playing most of the time. I have about two or three songs that if, it's, if that song is playing in the store, I'm turning around and walking out. They aren't getting my money. All right, but besides that, I love, I love Christmas season. I love walking into our church and it's decorated for Christmas. Um, I, I love all these different things. So in the, in the spirit of Christmas, we are starting a new series uh, this morning that we are simply calling this Carols. All right, who likes Christmas carols? Anybody? Okay, here's the real test. Who actually likes Christmas caroline? Yeah, a few of us. I saw a video this week of a guy. He was doing reverse caroling. He would go knock on doors and be like, okay, you need to sing me a Christmas song. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's genius. <laughs> I love that. That's my kind of caroling. All right, uh, the idea of this series is pretty simple. Uh, we have a ton of Christmas carols, Christmas songs that we sing. But I think oftentimes we don't fully understand or appreciate the songs and their lyrics to the fullest extent. Have you ever sang something in a Christmas st- song and been like, I have no idea what I'm singing right now? I mean, do, do call, what, what is the one in a way, the manger? Um, like cows are, are, what was it? Lowing. What is lowing? Like, I don't know, maybe the farmers in here, you can tell me afterwards. I don't know what the cattle lowing is. Honestly, that could be, they could be making a noise. They could be eating something. They could, I don't know. You know, and I'm just like, I don't know what is going on. All right, so we want to do this. We want to look at a few different songs. We're going to dive into some of the lyrics of these, uh, because I think a lot of them are really rich. So today, we are looking at a classic, uh, Oh Holy Night. All right, and over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some other songs, like, uh, you know, All I Want for Christmas is You. Uh, Jingle Bell Rock, uh, and Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer. Okay, I'm, at, I'm completely kidding. <laughs> I wanted to see if you guys would stick with me on that, and if you notice, the songs got more and more ridiculous as we went on. We are doing Oh Holy Night. That is today. We are not doing any of those other ones. All right, uh, but this is what I want us, I want us just to be ready um, today, just to say, God, all right, like, I, I, I'm here. I've taken this time out of my week uh, I want to grow closer to you. So can we do this? Can we stand across this place? I want to just open us in prayer, uh, just believing that God is going to speak to us. So God, we pray right now, Lord, that your words would be so loud and clear for us. God, that uh, this morning, every single one of us has walked through the doors. We, we all have something in our life that is needed. Lord, I pray right now that during this time that you would speak to us. God, that we would find the answers that we need, that we would find the strength that we would need, whatever it is, God, that you would equip us so that we can go and we can, we can spread your kingdom, Jesus. We ask that in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. Uh, so I want to give a little backstory to Oh Holy Night, all right? And I'm going to do this quickly because we've had a lot of announcements today and, I, and I'm already feeling like I'm behind the clock here, all right? Uh, but I want to give some backstory. In 1843, a parish priest in a small town in France was having their organ newly renovated, all right? And they wanted to celebrate the occasion. So he approached... And I'm going to say this wrong because it's a French name. All right, but Placide Capot. That's what I think. There's a ton of letters that I did not just sound out in that. A local commissioner of wines who was a poet and an atheist and a bit of a troublemaker. All right, but he was a poet. And the priest approaches this poet and he says, I would like a poem for our church's Christmas mass. 
we are celebrating this organ. I want a poem. So Placide read through the beginning of the Gospel of Luke and based the poem off of what he imagined it was like on that night. Then the poem was actually handed off to one of Placide's friends, who was the son of a well-known musician named Adolf Adams. And Adams was actually a Jewish composer. All right, the song was performed on Christmas Eve Mass at the church. Okay, do you understand? Like, an atheist wrote it, someone who was Jewish composed it, and it, okay. All right, and it's performed at a Christmas Eve Mass at the church, became a huge hit. It began to spread through the Catholic churches in France, was loved by many. All of a sudden, the church leaders begin to hear the origin story of this song, of who wrote this. And they are like, nope, we're not having it. And they try and basically put the kibosh on this song and say, we're done with this song, we're not singing it. But by this time, it was so well-loved and it had spread so far that they actually could not stop it. All right, a decade later, Across the ocean here in America, John Sullivan Dwight had heard the song and felt it needed to be sang here in America. Dwight was an abolitionist, and the words of verse 3 connected deeply with him. All right, the song gained traction in America, uh, especially through the Civil War and in the northern states at that time. Then, on Christmas Eve 1906, all right, so a few years later, uh, I believe at this point Adams had passed away. The other two were quite old that were involved in this. Uh, 1906, Christmas Eve, Reginald Fessenden, it's a great name, a 33-year-old university professor and former chief chemist for Thomas Edison did something that was long thought impossible using a new type of generator. Fessenden spoke into a microphone and for the first time in history, a man's voice was broadcast out over the airwaves. Think about this, all right, like, Radio operators on ships. And you have people in like newspaper businesses that are sitting there. And they're used to hearing Morse code and coded impulses coming through these speakers. That's it. And all of a sudden, Christmas Eve out of nowhere, a voice, a human voice breaks through these speakers. Like this, this would be amazing. All right. And what happens is this. He started reading from Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And to the few who caught this broadcast, it probably seemed like an absolute miracle that there is a human voice coming through these little speakers. And when Fessenden had, had finished reading through the birth of Jesus, he picked up his violin and he played O Holy Night through the microphone. Oh, Holy Night, the very first song ever to be broadcast through the radio. Like, this song has a history. Like, it's, it's crazy to see all this. Uh, as I was reading about this, I was just like, wow, this is one thing after another. All right? Uh, and could you imagine, though, what it would be like to be there on the night of Jesus' birth? That's what this, this poem started as, is imagining what would it be like. All right, and as, as I drive through the town, I see different manger scenes out in Long Prairie. There's one that's kind of like this outline of, of cool bright lights, and there, there's the classic ones that, uh, you know, are kind of lit up and different things. And these cute little manger scenes, they're awesome, but I think they give us a bit of a disservice as to what that night probably was like, right? Like, you see this cute little family, and everything's great, uh, and, and I'm just like, okay, culturally, this is what's happening. A teenage mom who is not married, Culturally at this time, like this is a massive issue. And she is running around saying, 
God did this. All right, and I'm going to guess that the excuse that God did this didn't work much better back then than it would now. Okay, like it's just one of those, everyone's like, oh yeah, I'm sure, okay? We all took health class, that's a lie. All right, and you're just like, so she's running around saying God did this. All right, she's nine months pregnant. Um, can you imagine this? Nine months pregnant, and her and her fiancé travel 80 to 120 miles on the back of a donkey. Can you imagine this? Like, I think back to when Emily, at different times, when she was about nine months pregnant with some of our kids, and we would travel in a nice, you know, car, and it has air conditioning on full blast, or heat on full blast, or both of them somehow on full blast. I, I don't know how this would work, but like, and then think of the amount of like bathroom breaks that we would take, and snack breaks that you would take. Okay, so like, the back of a donkey, nine months pregnant, that is going from like here in Long Prairie to at the closest like Monticello or even Minneapolis. Nine months pregnant on the back of a donkey. Okay, so the moms in the room are like, no, I get this. <laughs> I understand this. All right, and they get there and the whole city is filled up because everyone is traveling back to their hometowns. So Bethlehem would have been bursting at the seams. Now, uh, not to ruin some of our thoughts of what this looked like, but when you traveled to a place of your ancestors, uh, most likely you probably even had some relatives that were there. And they could have been distant relatives. You are going back to the land of your ancestors. Land was passed on generation to generation. All right, and, and you would go back. And at this time, it was a massive honor to host anybody. Like strangers, it didn't matter. To host them was a massive honor and even thought of as a uh, religious duty by some. Okay, so if they would do that for complete strangers, think how much more when family comes to town, they're trying to pull everybody in. All right, so you have the first cousins, second cousins, third cousins, tenth cousins. They're all coming back to town. All right, so even if Mary and Joseph had family, any guest space that that family had would already be filled up. All right, and many of those houses, uh, what they were built like is it was like a one-bedroom house, and then you would often have a spot that's maybe 8 to 10 to 12 feet that is lifted off the ground kind of on top of arches or pillars, and that was actually the living space, was up above. Down below would have been dirt. It was inside the house, but during winter, they would bring in goats, sheep, maybe a little bit of the cattle, and they would stay in the bottom portion of the house. All right, so what happens is Mary and Joseph are coming to town, and if they have family, the family doesn't have any room. Strangers don't have any room. There was some type of communal living, but not a lot of it, like an inn. Uh, because everyone was so, they wanted to host everybody. So where they end up is on this first floor with these other animals. This is probably what is happening culturally, and that's where they are at. All right, I think back to when we looked at uh, what hospital we would use. In Duluth, there's two hospitals, and it's a big rivalry. Which one you'd pick? Like, it's like one of the first questions people ask you. So which hospital do you go to? you go to St. Luke's, or do you go to St. Mary's? I don't know. You know, it's just that you move there, and you don't know, understand the rivalry. I remember being like, okay, which one was more recently renovated? Which one had a nicer room? At no point do I ever remember asking the question, which one had less livestock in the room? All right, well, that one only had two goats. That one had a chicken and a cow. I don't know, what's the goat to chicken ratio here? How do we, you know, at no point were we like trying to figure that out. This is, this is what this night looks like, all right? I'm sure when Mary went into labor, all right, she might have been yelling at God a little bit, like, okay, hey, you miraculously put this baby here. Can you miraculously give me an epidural like 2,000 years in advance? 
of when it was invented, and like all these different things that are going on. It was a miraculous conception. It was not, I think it was probably a very human birth. All right, that's just how this works. So this, this is what I want to do today. In a lot of this series, I want us to look at these carols. And we're going to grab a couple specific lines and look at them really, really briefly. And here's the lines I want us to look at in O Holy Night. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. If anything describes our world today, I would say we could use these words. A weary world. A weary world. There is so much going on in our world. It is overwhelming at times. There's so much anxiety surrounding everything. It's turbulent. There's division uh, at new levels. People are sick. I feel like just about weekly, one of the prayer requests that's coming in is um, so, somebody that someone knows from our church has found that they have cancer or, or this. It is just nonstop. I feel like our world is weary. It reminds me of a parent at the end of the day that is at the end of their rope, and if anything happens and, and goes wrong, they are ready to lash out like that. Like That's how I feel in our world. Like, I feel like I walk on eggshells at times. And this, this is with everybody. We all have the things that we're passionate about. And all it takes is someone else saying two or three of the right words, and we are ready with our 30-minute monologue of what we think about that. All right? Like, that, that's the world that we live in, and it just, it's exhausting. I would say that we live in a weary world. So what is it that a weary world needs? It needs hope. A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. If you celebrate or practice Advent, there's a focus each week. This week, or the first week of Advent, is hope. Hope, that, that's the idea. We need a thrill of hope. Biblically speaking, hope is related to waiting, having this high expectancy. All right, Because hope has to do with the future. In ancient Israel, they had been waiting for centuries and centuries for these promises to come true. They had endured all sorts of things. They had been drugged from Jerusalem. It, it was destroyed, and they were drugged into captivity far away. And they were, they were taken there. They were servants. They were slaves. Finally, they get released from there. They're back, and they're rebuilding uh, their homeland. And pretty soon, another occupying nation comes in and, and takes over and is telling them how to live and what to do and ta taxes to pay. All right, they were in a weary world. All right, and what I want for us is if you feel like you are living in a weary world, if your life is feeling overwhelming, that you can experience the same thrill of hope and you can rejoice in the midst of a weary world. All right, how, how can we do that? The next line says this, even in the midst of this chaotic world, in the midst of this chaotic night that Mary and Joseph were having, that in just a little bit, a new and glorious morning was coming because everything was about to be different. The Messiah changed everything. When Jesus came, everything was changed. All right? And what, what biblical hope is this? Biblical hope is hope is faith in the future. Like faith is that something right now is going to happen, like these different things. Hope is faith in something in the future. That, that's what it is. It's not wishful thinking. It's not anything like that. So I want us to look at Lamentations chapter 3 uh, quickly, and it's going to give us a framework of this same idea that we see in O Holy Night. All right, and so the background of this book was right after we had said Jerusalem was captured and taken away to Babylon. It's right during this time. And, and the thought is that probably Prophet Jeremiah was writing these poems. It's a collection of a few poems, or at least putting them together. All right, and, uh, and in, 
for most of it, he is lamenting. He is just mourning what has happened. He is so incredibly distraught over what has happened. But then in chapter 3, there is a shift, and the poem moves from mourning to a moment of faith. And I want us to look at this, all right? So starting in verse 19, it said this, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall, and I, will, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. In the NLT, and this one won't be on, on the screen, uh, it just says this, the, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Like the, Jeremiah isn't pretending like everything is okay. He isn't ignoring the difficulties. Instead, he says what he is doing in the midst of all of that, all right? When the night is hard and filled with chaos, what do I do? Verse 21, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. This is important. How does Jeremiah have hope here? By calling to mind, by remembering something. Sometimes in the midst of weariness, in the midst of negative thoughts that we are having, we have to call certain things into our mind. In the Christmas account, in Luke chapter 2, uh, there's a verse, verse 19, that often gets skipped over as we read through this, or we just kind of like don't realize what we're reading. All right, so you have this crazy night of Jesus' birth. The shepherds have come. All this stuff is happening. And then all of a sudden, verse 19 says this, But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. So you have a mom that is in the middle of a chaotic night, and she remembers all these things. She keeps these things in her heart. Mary stored that away. And, and here's why. Because she knew her son was the Messiah. She knew that troubling days were ahead. And she wanted to be able to remember this. When those moments hit, when chaos hits, she could recall back to mind, wow, God moved in a pretty miraculous way. I know that God's hand is on his life and on my life. And no one can ever take that away from her. And she would recall those things often. It says, this is important for us to do, to remind ourselves what God has done in our past, how he has been faithful in the past. He says, for his compassions never fail. Verse 23, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His compassions, his mercies are new every morning. Verse 24, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And right here, this idea of the Lord is my portion most likely is referencing back or it's supposed to call into memory for us when the Israelites were walking through the desert and they needed to be provided for and God would provide manna or food miraculously every day for them. He would provide their portion, and it's saying, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion. So what does all this, this whole chunk of lamentations, mean for us? All right, this is my paraphrase of it. Life is hard. Terrible things happen. And you will grow weary, exhausted, and all around you're, you're going to hurt. That's part of our life. In those moments, our job is not to pretend like everything is fine like we're living in some dream world. But instead, our job is to focus on the right things. What we do in those moments is we think back on all the times that God has provided for us in the past, the ways he has come through, the ways he has been faithful, and in light of what he has done in the past, we know that this chaotic night will come to an end, a new day is going to rise, 
And with that new day will come new mercies, new opportunities, and a new hope for the future. And when we trust God and place our hope in him like that, salvation will come. That salvation might not always be what we want, but it will be what we need. This is what Lamentations 3 right there, that chunk, that's what that's saying. If you're newer here, you might not know this about me, but I, I love soccer. All right, I love uh, playing soccer, I love refing, I love coaching, all those things. Um, I don't always get to watch it, partly because we don't have the channels and partly because it's pretty boring. All right, I love soccer, but watching it sometimes is difficult. But one of my dreams is to go uh, to Europe and to be at one of these big games. All right, in these big stadiums that are filled, everyone is standing. All right, we're talking like Premier League or La Liga or Champions League, one of those, and everybody's chanting and there's flags and hopefully not, you know, like the, you know, Molotov cocktails being thrown and things like that, but hopefully it's a calmer game, but a little bit, you know, more excited than just Minnesotans. All right, uh, and I, I want to be there for this. I think it would be amazing. Um, and, and there's this saying in Europe with soccer, all right? Uh, and it's not really so much for the players, it's the fans. And the saying is this, it says, it's the hope that kills you. It's the hope that kills you. Essentially, the idea is this, don't get your hopes up too much because you're probably just going to be let down and disappointed. All right, and that might be true in sports. And I mean, come on, as Minnesotans. But I, I think some people in the room are like, hey, I found my new saying in life. I right, like if, if you are a fan of Minnesota sports teams, it's the hope that kills you. All right, like that, that, it's just one of those sayings. But here's the thing, like some people, they live their life with this mindset. I don't want to get my hopes up. I can't, I can't believe in anything. Uh, nothing is going to work out the way that I want it to. But the reality is it isn't the, the hope that is, that is hurting people. It's the lack of hope. And we need to remember that biblical hope, hope in Jesus, isn't the same. It's not wishful thinking of like, I want this to happen in my life. It is trusting that God is faithful, that God provides. He's done it in the past. He will do it in the future. That's what hope is. It's trusting God, not because of our circumstances and because they're great, but in spite of our circumstances. It's trusting God. All right, and some of us in the room, we have had some dark, chaotic nights or seasons, some really difficult times in our lives. Some of us might be going through that right now. All right, and I want to encourage you this morning, don't, don't give up hope. Not hope in what you want to see happen, but hope in Jesus. Hope that he will be faithful, that he will come through and he will provide what you need. Life is difficult and it might be dark right now and it might even stay that way for a little while. But don't give up hope because a new morning is coming. So hang on to it. Don't lose hope. Can we, can we stand across this place as we just kind of finish up here? I think that there, there are so many different situations that can be represented in this room. We have people in here that you, you've been praying for family members. You've been praying for your kids. You've been praying for siblings, parents, for years. We have people that have been going through job situations that have been incredibly difficult and trying to figure out what, what is next for them and, and how do I make it. We have people that maybe you, you're living just kind of paycheck to paycheck and you're like, man, I just, I hope I get enough hours this week so that I can pay rent and do this. And we have people that are in a dark spot. 
And we need to hang on to hope. And, and here's what I want. Whenever this season you hear the song, Oh Holy Night, or, or you sing this song, <clears throat> and these lines in particular, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. I don't want us to just think about the holy night, which is also incredibly chaotic, but to think about when the sun comes up the next morning, how everything is different because a day with Christ can change everything. Like, think about that. The sunrise of that day and the sunrise of the next day might have been the two most drastically different days in the world. The sunrise of the day that Jesus was born, he wasn't born yet. People were lost in their sin. They needed all sorts of rituals and legalistic practices to try and somehow be right with God. And the next morning when the sun came up, all of that had changed. There was a Messiah, there was a Savior. There was someone that made the difference. And in the same way that everything was changed for them, everything can change for us. But in the same way for, for them, Jesus comes on the scene and some people, they had given up hope. They had stopped waiting for so long for this promise to be fulfilled. That when Jesus came, they completely missed it. And some had put their hope in the wrong things. They wanted the Messiah to be a political leader and a military leader and to defeat the Romans. When Jesus came preaching mercy and love and forgiveness, they didn't want anything to do with it. But for those that were hanging on to hope and trusting God to do it in his way, when Jesus came on the scene, everything was different. The next morning after that night of his birth, the sun rose on a completely new world. Everything was changed and he still changes everything for you. A new day with Jesus can make all the difference. Isaiah 40, verse 31, you've probably heard this verse before. It says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Those who hope in the Lord will not grow weary. I want us, can we just take a moment between you and God? If you want to close your eyes, you can. If you want to just make a little space, like right where you are, to meet with God, I, I want to ask us a few questions. I, I know we have people who are walking through dark times, dark moments in your life right now. If you are wrestling with something, if your world feels chaotic right now, and you need to refocus, and you need Jesus to step into that situation, would you just lift your hand up this morning? Yeah. Yep. And there are times that we need to be reminded ourselves of the ways that he has been faithful in the past. Maybe make a list that you can recall and it can fuel your ability to place your hope in Jesus. All right, but I, I want to pray over these situations right now. God, you know what's happening in every single life in here. God, you know the family members that are far from you. You know the financial situations that are desperate. You know the people that feel like emotionally, mentally, they are just at the end of their rope. They don't know how they're going to keep going. 
God, you know the people that just feel lost, like they just need direction. God, those that maybe are just even questioning, are you even real, God? I've never, I've never heard your voice. I've never felt your presence. These things that people talk about, are you even there? God, in the midst of these situations, I, I pray that you would just show up. Jesus, and that things would be changed, that, that we would be able to find hope to be placed in you. And second thing, if you're here today and maybe we're talking about this idea of Jesus changes everything for us. And when Jesus comes on the scene, when Jesus comes into your life, a new sun comes up and it's a new day and everything is different. And you're here and you're like, I've never made that decision. I don't feel like I've ever made a decision where all of a sudden everything's different. It doesn't mean that everything in your life is, is, is perfect and all the troubles go away. It means now you have someone to walk through those with you. You have somewhere to put your hope and to know that things are going to be okay. If that's you and you feel like you've never had that opportunity, you've never made that decision before, I want to give you a chance just to slip your hand up right now. I want to pray with you. We'll lead just in a, in a prayer here. Yep. Let's just say this together in this room. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for taking away my mistakes. In you, everything is made different. Help me to follow you the rest of my life. Amen. All right, here's what I want to do. We are going to close with just this. Uh, Carrie is going to lead us in the song, Oh Holy Night. We're just going to sing this together uh, as we finish up here, and then I'll come up at the end uh, and dismiss us. So let's, let's sing this song together.